Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Macro Compass. Silicon Valley Bank went belly up in about 30 hours. And no, it's not the Fed's fault. This is the result of a very concentrated funding base, embarrassingly bad market risk management on their investments, and a ton of moral hazard at play that I will uncover. This piece will attempt at answering the questions all of us have been asking. What exactly went so wrong for a $200 billion balance sheet bank to go down so fast? How serious are the spillover risks? Is the entire US banking system in trouble? How will the Fed and markets react to all of this? Let's start by talking about deposits. Because while SVB's investments have attracted a lot of attention, their funding strategy was a huge red flag too. As a prudent bank, which SVB wasn't, you want to diversify your funding, attracting different types of liabilities, retail deposits from small investors, from rich investors, corporate deposits, and financial market issuance funding, so bond issuance, for example. Instead, SVB's funding base was as bad and as concentrated as it can be. The lion's share were large ticket deposits from tech companies, which means excessive concentration risk and a higher probability of cluster withdrawals during periods of economic and market stress. The first chart in the article shows how SIVB, Silicon Valley Bank, had a higher risk deposit base compared to most other banks in the US. Retail deposits below the FDIC insurance threshold of $250,000 represented only 2.7% of total SVB deposits, which is a very, very small amount of sticky retail depositors. In large, systematic, systemically important US banks, sticky retail deposits, as shown in the second table in the article, represent about 30% of the funding base, not 2.7%, like it was the case for SVB. SVB had an excessive concentration risk in their funding base to start with. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room, investments and moral hazard. What SVB did with their investment portfolio is either a signal of enormous incompetence and or outright moral hazard at play, which basically allows banks to gamble away billions as policymakers will rescue anyway. And I cannot believe that incompetence reaches these levels. And also, as I will show later, there are some clear hints that moral hazard was really at play here. First of all, let's start from the basics. Why do banks have these large investment portfolios full of bonds? After the great financial crisis, regulators forced banks to own an amount of high-quality liquid assets, HQLA, at least big enough to meet a stressed outflow scenario for deposits over 30-day periods. This is a liquidity coverage ratio above 100%, as shown in the picture below. What qualifies as high-quality liquid assets? Reserves at central bank and bonds, mostly treasuries, but also some corporate bonds and mortgage-backed securities. As a result of this regulation, banks all over the world have flushed their balance sheets with trillions of bonds. But such a large amount of bonds on the balance sheet also comes with risks. Interest rate risk comes to mind. If you purchase treasuries and yields go up, you lose money. That's why banks hedge the lion's share of the interest rate risk coming from their HQLA bond investments. How do you hedge? The, mechanics is pretty, the mechanism is pretty simple. When you buy treasuries... You lock in a fixed deal that you receive, and rising interest rates are a risk to hedge that risk. 
you enter into an interest rate swap, where this time you pay away a fixed yield and receive variable payments in exchange. And there you go. You receive the fixed rate when buying treasuries. Now you pay a fixed rate in the swap, and that's your hedge. Treasuries generally yield a bit more than swaps, and that's where banks make their money in their bond portfolios. The example that I put in the chart in the chart in the in the, um, in the article, SVB um, entity A in the in the picture would buy ten-year treasuries and enter into a swap to hedge interest rate risk, where they pay a fixed ten-year rate in the swap and receive variable overnight rates for the next ten years plus a small spread. This would allow SVB to hedge the interest rate risk and earn a small spread on their bond portfolio where there were two major problems with SVB's investments. The first is that SVB had a gigantic investment portfolio as percentage of total assets at 57% as shown in the table in the article. The average US bank has only 24% of their balance sheet into the investment portfolio. And also SVB had a massive amount of mortgage-backed securities representing 78% of their portfolio. CT or JP Morgan have only 30% of their portfolio in mortgage-backed securities. Most importantly, SVB did not hedge interest rate risk at all. As you can see in the chart, there is a piece from a presentation of, SV of SVB that shows that the duration, the interest rate sensitivity of their huge portfolio before and after interest rate hedges that are very common at banks, as I just described, the interest rate sensitivity before and after interest rate hedges was the same, which effectively means there were no hedges in place. This means SVB was not applying basic risk management practices, and it was exposing its investors and depositors to a gigantic amount of risk. How big? Economically speaking, the $120 billion bond portfolio with the 5.6-year duration that SVB had means that every 10 basis point move higher in five-year interest rates lost the bank $700 million. A 200 basis point move up in five-year interest rates lost the bank $14 billion. Basically, the entire bank's capital would be wiped out simply from a 200 basis point move up in interest rates. Now you understand as the tech IPO boom faded, deposits stopped coming in in 2022. Depositors actually started taking some money out and forced SVB to realize the losses, gigantic losses, coming from poor risk management on their bond investments. And the concentrated nature of the deposit base with this awful risk management meant that SVB went belly up real quick. Many people are now calling for a blanket bailout, but the evidence is that moral hazard was at play. The evidence is too big to be ignored, and we should not reward moral hazard. Let's talk about that. Please consider the evidence that moral hazard played an important role into the SVB um, approach. There are three interconnected facts which are hard to ignore. The first is that SVB made an outrageous use of accounting tricks. HQLA investments can be booked either under the available for sale or the health to maturity accounting regimes. In available for sale, the investment unrealized gains and losses do not hit the PL of the bank, but they do show up in the capital position. If you book bonds in health to maturity instead, 
to prevent gains and losses from showing up at all, not even in the capital position, which is very convenient. And you can see for yourself in the article, the gigantic bond book that SBB had, we already talked about, and how SBB made an unusually large use of the convenient delta maturity accounting regime. You don't book $90 billion of unhedged bonds in health to maturity by mistake or incompetence. This is moral hazard and an outrageous use of accounting benefits. Second fact, interconnected. Many people are saying that not hedging interest rate risk was the result of ignorance or incompetence. Well, I disagree. And I'm going to show you why. In December 2021, SBB had 10 billion of interest rate swaps, still probably too little to hedge the entire interest rate risk appropriately, but that's not my point. My point is that in their financial statement, they show a clear understanding of what the swaps are for, as you can see in the article, a snapshot taken from their own financial statement that shows a full understanding of what the swaps are for, and most importantly, fast forward to December 2022, all hedges, all the $10 billion interest rate swap hedges have been actively sold. This is not just ignorance. This is a vast use of accounting tricks and benefits and a voluntary reduction of the already small interest rate hedges. This is moral hazard at play. Third, SVB had always a special urge to stay away from tighter regulatory scrutiny. The reason why SVB could get around with this terribly risky business model was its size. You see, Banks with assets below 250 billion are not subject to the tighter layer of regulation scrutiny like big banks. No liquidity ratios, no stable funding requirements, etc. These allowed SVB to run wild with its investment portfolio and funding based concentration. What's wrong about that? I mean, you might ask, SVB is not the only bank with assets below 250 billion benefiting from a luxer uh, regulatory requirement. Well, would it help to know? that SVB's management repeatedly lobbied to increase the cap for lax regulatory scrutiny. And I put a link in the article where you can see um, another piece that goes through that story, the lobbying to increase the cap for laxer regulatory scrutiny, and also conveniently remained 20 to 30 billion below the $250 billion threshold. I think the evidence says that it is hard to deny a decent amount of moral hazard was at play right here. So should the government fully bail out SBV or should the government think about making uninsured depositors whole? Should the government do nothing? Is SBV, SBV a canary in the coal mine for a systemic banking crisis? Can this happen to large US banks as well? And what about the Fed reaction and the market impact? If you enjoyed this deep piece so far and you're eager to read the remaining part of this report answering these very crucial questions, come and join the Macro Compass Premium Platform. You'll get access to the full-length piece, other timely pieces, actionable investment strategy, and much more. Check out which subscription tier suits you the most going to themacrocompass.com or clicking on the, on the button at the end of the article. I'll talk to you guys again very soon.